welcome to our show. This is the Environmental Justice Report with Janine Moloff, and I'm Janine Moloff, your host. Last week, we discussed how environmental attorney Stephen Donzinger fought Chevron in a lawsuit that demanded damages paid to the indigenous peoples in the area that were damaged and hurt by the many environmental crimes that Chevron, Texaco Chevron's committed. Donziger fought for the almost three decades and eventually won the lawsuit, but Chevron, okay, this is really odd. All right, bear with me. Uh, we're still in technical difficulties here. Um, it said I was on air and I started my intro and now it's saying 90 seconds. So I'm just gonna chat and then we're gonna figure out why this keeps doing this to me. But like a lot of people, I am technologically challenged. I didn't grow up with a computer mouse in my hand, so we're just bear with me. We have 60 seconds, all right? So again, Blog Talk Radio has its own quirks. But I hope you enjoy our show this week. Uh, 49 seconds, 48. It says we're on air, stream left. I am confused, but we'll find out in a minute. Hopefully I won't have to restart it. Bear with me. Blog Talk Radio is about to get some complaints from me because this is getting a little ridiculous. But you got to have a sense of humor with this stuff. So we'll just see 27 seconds. We're just going to go. And this is part of our environmental racism series. 21 seconds, 20, 19, 18. I feel like I have to do this. 15, 14. Don't you just love technology? 11, 10. Here we go. 9. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, and hopefully blast off. All righty. I'm hoping that we're on air right now. It's a little confusing, but here we go. This is the Environmental Justice Report with Janine Moloff, and I'm your host, Janine Moloff. And hopefully this is live on air. Um, again, Blog Talk Radio is a little confusing sometimes, but this is part of our environmental racism series. And when you talk about environmental racism, you really can't separate the crimes of corporations that decide it's okay to dump on communities of color from them deciding that it's okay to also dump on just generally poor communities in general, although communities of color do bear the brunt of this. There's no doubt about that. So last week we discussed how environmental activist attorney Stephen Donzinger fought Chevron in a lawsuit that demanded damages be uh, paid to the indigenous peoples of the area. In this instance, that part of the Amazon was in Ecuador. Donzinger fought for almost three decades and eventually they won the lawsuit, but Chevron wouldn't accept responsibility. So Chevron's attorneys went after Donzinger. Not only did they refuse to pay the court order of settlement, it went all the way up to the top level courts in Ecuador, but Chevron decided they were going to make an example of Stephen Donzinger as well. And you have to realize when this, if you go back to our first show, it describes what happened during the trial. Um, basically, Chevron really fought to make sure that this case initially would not land in the U.S. court. They wanted it in an Ecuadorian court. Then they got their way and they still lost. So not only did Chevron decide they weren't going to pay the damages to indigenous peoples for basically what constitutes illegal dumping of toxins from fossil fuel uh, activities, but they were going to make, like I said, make an example of Stephen Donziger. Donziger is a Harvard Law School grad. Um, and, you know, he, at one point, he was fighting like some 2,000 attorneys on the other side, but they still won. And so Chevron went after Donziger, and they not only saw to it that he's facing RICO charges, civil RICO charges, but still that's the anti racketeering law but they made sure that the judges they received were corporate connected and Donziger was disbarred as well on those bogus charges. He may face some jail time. But in the meanwhile, the area in Ecuador and other parts of the Amazon, but this is about Ecuador right now, where these people live remains an environmental nightmare. 
So what we're going to do tonight is talk about environmental racism and Chevron's utter hypocrisy. That's the thing, okay? You have to remember this. So there is a group, all right, and it's uh, basically uh, a group um, is I on the Amazon. Excuse me, I'm a little tired tonight. And they talk about environmental racism. And uh, this piece was written by Paul Paz Imino. Nino. And it starts out discussing how the murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, you know, really have caught the public's attention finally. You know, that this racism that amounts to extrajudicial pol- murders by, conducted by police has to stop. And the ironic part is that Chevron, who has shown overt racism towards Amazon indigenous communities in Ecuador in their quest not only for oil and gas products, but also to dump toxic waste and save some extra money, they also want to be known as being basically against um, you know, against environmental racism, and this is really something that it's it's hard it's hard to imagine. But uh, one of the things we're going to talk about here is that you see, it's not just Ecuador. All right, there's been pollution going on in communities of color, part of the Chevron business model, for decades, and last month communities affected by Chevron organized events. They um, they organized an event called the annual Anti-Chevron Day, and messages came in from communities in Ecuador, and in California, Nigeria, and Australia. And a week prior to Chevron's annual shareholders meeting, activists, community organizations, and indigenous leaders that have been harmed by Chevron directly denounced the company and called for international support and demands to hold it accountable. And um, there was one man, William Lusitante, who's president of UDAPS, um, and it was reported, it was on, this was actually on YouTube, um, quote, Chevron obtains economic resources while sacrificing our lives. There are many people who suffer from cancer and have died. Our rivers are polluted. The right to food that we have as indigenous peoples is also affected by the pollution. Chevron is guilty and must pay damages in order to repair the Ecuadorian Amazon. And, you know, once again, Chevron, I guess, thought that the COVID lockdown was going to somehow shield it, but it didn't. Um, Chevron CEO Michael Worth um, and several of the senior management company's board of directors, they faced a whole bunch of shareholder resolutions criticizing the company's just vile human rights and environmental record and also the amount of enormous amounts of money that Chevron spends to lobby against any sort of positive climate change action. Chevron was forced to also play audio messages from Nobel Peace Prize winner Jody Williams and then actor-producer Alec Baldwin for all the executives and shareholders at the meeting. And to quote it, quote, the tide of public opinion is turning, said Baldwin, Baldwin, and Baldwin did accuse Worth of not protecting shareholder value by ignoring the Ecuador liability. Um, Worth then responded to Baldwin by saying his comments were offensive, all right? And then he, then basically Worth read a long list of what's been proven to be scripted lies to try uh, and rebut Baldwin's accusation that, and, and Baldwin said it, Baldwin, Alec Baldwin accused Chevron of becoming, quote, the Harvey Weinstein of petroleum companies. And Nobel Peace Prize winner Jody Williams, uh, who was representing 28 other Nobel laureates, and this was reported on Amazon Watch, um, they all signed this statement in support for the Ecuadorian communities confronted community about the Chevron way. Williams called out Chevron for its practices of, quote, using corporate money to retaliate and intimidate any of its critics, and that included uh, the attorney we spoke about, Stephen Donzinger. And the company has really just dogged and demonized and punished Donziger for years now. Um, and then, you know, we, we have to look at this and just realize 
what you know what's happened here. The the lawyer who is representing the Ecuadorian indigenous people, Stephen Donziger, he's facing charges. He's been disbarred, and he was told he was in, in contempt of court. And what was it for? The in contempt of court charge was because he refused to hand over his file to the opposition side, citing attorney-client uh, confidentiality and privilege. And this is something you've got two judges that are both connected, Judge Kaplan, um, who used to lobby for uh, the tobacco industry, and then Judge Preska, who Kaplan picked. And this is just, there's so much information here that it's hard to even just talk about all of it and make sense out of it, truth be told. This is something that we talked about last time. Um, so we're going to get to this now, all right? You know, why is Chevron fighting this so much? Okay, they got caught dumping toxins into waterways into and into unlined pits in violation of ju- just mainstream environmental laws for basically disposing of you know, waste from fossil fuel extraction. And, you know, once again, people, they, everybody knows about the, um, the CO2 levels hurting this planet, and they know about airborne particulates. And if I'm rambling a little, just kind of bear with me tonight. I'm not feeling that well. But we don't really focus on what happens to our water, for instance. There's far more pollution than people realize. So from the union, let's talk a little about the specific dangers of fossil fuel extraction and use and the dangers that they pose for animals, plant life, humans, and especially children. So the Union of Concerned Scientists did an article called The Hidden Cost of Fossil Fuels. And the true cost of fossil fuels, whether it's coal, natural gas, um, oil, it's not always obvious, but the impact can be far more dire than any of us realize. This was an article that was published in 08, dated in 2016. So, you know, basically when we look at the hidden cost of fossil fuels, it's referred to as externalities, okay? And and don't you just love how these industries love coming up with their own jargon. It makes everything sound so clean and benign, but it's not. So externalities are those hidden costs of fossil fuels. And those externalities aren't represented in the market price, even though it the impacts to the planet and our health and our children's health and future are far more savage than anyone would know. So sometimes ex- these externalities or these hidden costs of using fossil fuel are pretty easy to see. You know, you can see the haze in an L.A. sky, air pollution. You can see erosion and land degradation. But then you've got some other costs like asthma, uh, rising levels of cancer, impacts on sea level rise. And, you know, sometimes when these externalities affect a small group of people, the majority just doesn't pay attention. And when it affects communities of color, especially poor communities of color, the public doesn't care hardly at all. Let's be honest. You know, I'm going to call this by what this is. This is still colonialism. This is still basically crimes against indigenous communities of color that aren't considered white and necessarily Christian. It is what it is. So they've been marginalized. So it's easier for these corporations to abuse them. So when you look at the extraction process and then transporting the fuels, and then the fuels are burned, and then you've got the waste products, you've got basically four things there that can play into external externalities or these hidden costs. We know extraction processes, whether it's basically uh, surface mining, where you're basically just slicing off mountaintops, or whether it is transporting the fuel, let's say from a pipeline and the pipeline bursts. Obviously when the fuels are burned, it emits toxins. And then you've got the waste products. And these waste products can sometimes be the most toxic of all. So what are fossil fuels? Well, we pretty, people think they know. It's coal, natural gas, and oil used as energy to generate electricity, usually, and, and to use for transportation. 
And as I said before, there's two main methods for removing fossil fuels from the ground. There's mining and drilling. Mining is used to extract solid fossil fuels like coal. And they dig, they scrape, and they expose buried resources. Drilling helps extract liquid or gaseous fossil fuels, and then they can force it to flow to the surface, and that's conventional oil and natural gas. But both processes carry serious health and environmental dangers. Now, coal mining has changed quite a bit. All right, over the past several decades, there's been a shift from underground coal mining to surface mining. And surface mining is usually just effective for shallow deposits, and again, these are highly invasive techniques, according to this article, including area strip mining and mountaintop removal. Underground mining, again, the danger, there's danger to the miners, but there's, you know, additional problems there. Now, you have adverse environmental impacts of mining can collapse or subside, affecting, according to this article, quote, surface and subsurface water flows. Mine fires can happen, especially in abandoned mines. And then there's this thing called acid mine drainage at underground coal mines. And this can be a long-term environmental problem, according to the US EPA. If active and or abandoned coal mines aren't properly managed, what happens is water can sometimes flow through the mine and it becomes very acidic and rich in heavy metals. And here's the important part. The, result, the resulting drainage water from these mismanaged mines is detrimental to human, plant, and animal life. No doubt about that. You surface mining, think about what we're talking about, mountaintop removal. In what world is that considered just a simple little thing? Um, so that process, you're removing huge volumes of rock and soil, and what you remove is then dumped into valleys and streams, which changes their ecosystem. The coal removal sites are left with soil that just won't support really any sort of crop growth, just some exotic grasses. Um, the EPA reported that as of 2010, mountaintop removal coal extraction had buried, quote, nearly 2,000 miles of Appalachian headwater streams, end quote. Surface mining can impact the safety and health of surrounding communities. You can have mudslides, landslides, flash floods may become more common. And then, depending on what kind of chemical makeup that coal deposit has, and this is what's really frightening, my, quote, mines can pollute local drinking water sources with toxic chemicals like selenium, arsenic, manganese, lead, iron, and hydrogen sulfide. I'm going to repeat that. When it comes to coal mining, for instance, and not just coal, but According to this paper from the Union of Concerned Scientists, quote, mines, depending on the chemical makeup of the coal deposit, mines can, I'm sorry, mines can pollute local drinking water sources with toxic chemicals like selenium, arsenic, manganese, lead, iron, and hydrogen sulfide. Now, we know that there's no safe amount of lead, especially for children. And arsenic, same thing, arsenic is a poison. There was a Harvard University study they cited, and what they found when they assessed what they called the life cycle cost and public health effects of coal, and this was conducted from 97 to 2005, they found a direct link to lung, cardiovascular, and kidney diseases like diabetes and hypertension. There was an elevated occurrence of low birth rate and preterm births, and that was associated with surface mining uh, activities. And that's something that we can't continue. We can't allow to continue. Oil and grass, I mean, I'm sorry, oil and gas drilling, that's not only onshore and offshore oil and gas drilling, but that also includes what they call unconventional extraction methods, such as natural gas hydraulic fracturing. Natural gas hydraulic fracturing is commonly known as fracking. All right? There is water impact. There's no small coincidence that people like Dick Cheney, who's still lobbying for certain things, want to make sure that the Clean Water Act totally dismantled because Cheney's been heavily involved in the past and still remains in the fossil fuel industry. And the fossil fuel industry is one of the major contributing factors to 
the poisoning of our water. So, of course, they don't want that Clean Water Act to go into effect. So here's another part of the process a lot of people don't know about. So when, when these fossil fuel companies mine, when they extract the oil and gas, especially if it's been trapped in, you know, in the ground, in a geological formation, and they bring it to the surface, um, they bring with it liquids, and there's this thing called produced water. And produced water, I'm just going to read this quote, can carry, quote, can carry with it naturally occurring dissolved solids, heavy metals, hydrocarbons, and radioactive materials in concentrations that make it unsuitable for human consumption and difficult to dispose of safely. When hydraulic fracturing methods are used, the total amount of wastewater is amplified by the large volume of water and chemicals involved in the process. Drilling and fracking shale gas formations like the Marcellus Shale typically requires three to six million gallons of water per well. Okay, end quote. So this produced water, basically it's, it's what's, what the water becomes after, after this whole process has happened, is re, can be really quite dangerous. It just depends. Um, there was a government-sponsored report, one report from 2000, oh, I'm sorry, from 05 to 09, um, and what it found was 14 oil and gas companies used 780 million gallons of hydraulic fracturing products containing, I'm sorry, 780 million gallons of hydraulic fracturing products containing 750 chemicals and other components. There was another study that identified 632 chemicals in the fracking products. Okay. And then there's a smaller, there's a smaller amount. One, a bunch of researchers, they could only track 353 chemicals from the larger list. They found that 25% of those 353 chemicals that they were able to track caused cancer or other mutations. And about half of those 353 could severely, according to the quote, could severely damage neurological, cardiovascular, endocrine, and immune systems. This is from the research done by the Union of Concerned Scientists, and that was from, I have to look at it. All right, so now we have Amazon Watch. Okay, so what we've done right now is we've talked about what can happen to people that have been exposed to this the fossil fuel extraction industry. Here we have, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit here. There's another journal that cites the dangers of fossil fuel extraction, waste, and use. And this one is specific to children. The International Journal of Environmental Research and Public Health. And this was published in 2018. And then it was published online a little earlier in 2017. So, the title is, quote, Pollution from Fossil Fuel Combustion is a Leading Environmental Threat to Global Pediatric Health Inequity. And it looks like the author is Frederica Pereira. So this article has been cited by other articles in that journal. So the abstract basically says that fossil fuel combustion byproducts, in other words, the other things that are produced by burning fossil fuel, as posed to be one of the world's most significant threats to our children's health and future. And it's also a major contributor to global inequality and environmental justice. Well, it makes sense. If you hurt the health and, and what a child can become in these communities, then those communities aren't going to be able to do better. So the emissions they're talking about are a bunch of toxic air pollutants and carbon dioxide. Um, they talk about synergies between air pollution and climate change that magnify the harm to children. The impact of these byproducts caused by the fossil fuel industry include, quote, impairment of cognitive and behavioral development, respiratory illness, and other chronic diseases. And they go on to say that all these problems that children can inherit from being exposed to the byproducts burned by the fossil fuel or dumped by the fossil fuel industry can be, according to them, quote, seeded in utero. In other words, what mommy and daddy are exposed to and when mom becomes pregnant and she lives near, say, a fossil fuel plant, yes, 
her child in utero can be uh, negatively impacted and harmed. And we're not just talking asthma. We're talking could impair cognitive function. In other words, the intellectual development and other neurological problems. And they go on to say this will affect the health and functioning, not just right away, but also over the, the entire life course of that future child. And when you impair a child's ability to learn their health and their potential to, to just contribute to society, then basically raising people that will be less resilient and communities will become less equitable. And it will basically perpetuate this endless cycle of affluent white communities continually holding on to the lion's share of wealth and poor communities and countries of color that will continually be, for all practical purposes, enslaved by poverty. So they also talk about the developing, they go on about the developing fetus. Okay. And we know from other studies that a fetus in utero, as well as a young child, they are more apt to be severely affected by any type of, of substance, whether it's a prescribed medication or um, a pollutant, because their bodies just absorb everything so quickly and their, their nervous systems are kind of fragile. And they also have defense mechanisms that aren't as mature. And when you combine that with rapid development, you're really harming a child. And this study goes on to say that no country spared, though, even high-income countries. But low-income communities and communities of color within them are the ones that are always the worst affected. And this just basically widens increasing global inequality and it ties directly in with environmental injustice and environmental racism and this group has said that global quote global pediatric health is at a tipping point with catastrophic consequences in the absence of bold action end quote i think that's pretty self-explanatory and this is the commentary they want to highlight not only the neurodevelopmental impacts of fossil fuel production and the waste products that it generates, but to describe, you know, available means to achieve a low carbon economy. So this doesn't just affect respiratory systems, it affects everything. Um, so we know that children, especially from poor families, do bear a disproportionate burden when it comes to developmental impairments and being basically unduly exposed to industrial pollutants. Um, and this has been published in multiple journals. So we have to look at this and we have to hold these companies accountable in order to stop this. You know, we need to, we need to mitigate this. It just can't continue anymore um, because this is a, a threat to future generations. There's no doubt about that. Uh, and there's, when the pollution gets that bad, when it's, when it's in your water, for instance, there's no running away from it. So even the Pope, uh, Pope Francis, in his encyclical, um, concluded that, quote, global capitalism based on the burning of fossil fuels has created unsustainable consumption and mounting inequity. All right. And he had, the Pope sees it. All right. Then you have the Lancet Commission on Health and Climate Change. Okay. They had a, a report around the same time period. And this article paraphrases the Lancet Commission. Quote, governmental, government policies and other strategies to reduce dependence on fossil fuel and build sustainable communities represent the biggest opportunity to our, of our century to improve public health, redress inequality, and increase the resilience of individuals, communities, and the broader society. End quote. So, and this article goes on to say that they compare fossil fuel as, quote, the modern day version of the Hydra in Greek mythology, the monster with many heads. You cut off one head and new, two heads came back in its place because what's happened is the fossil fuel industry 
their products and also the waste products they generate and their refusal to follow envir- true environmental laws, it, it, it's just creating more and more environmental monstrosities that are not just hurting us, but hurting our children. And, you know, you, you get rid of one problem and three more, okay? So this is, you know, this is something that we have to look at here. The young are especially vulnerable to air pollution and climate change. You know, we're going back to fetus development, okay? This is, you know, mommy can do everything right, and guess what? Because of what these companies put into the air and into the water, she can still come up with a child that has many problems, all right? And so we have to look at this. Um, So... This is another study that is talking about this this particular problem, all right? Um, Once again, you're looking at socioeconomic disparities and how it affects our children, all right? We're seeing this now, and I'm kind of, I know I'm kind of rambling a little bit here, even with COVID, you know, we've heard the stories about very wealthy people that leave their offices in Manhattan by chopper. They rent a chopper to go to their homes in the Hamptons. And they pay, what is it, I think 600 bucks a day for the basically the air taxi ride. And then they go back, and I'm sure they write big checks to Donald Trump because they think they can escape it. But eventually, none of us will be able to escape this. And, you know, when it's affecting and harming our children, then we have to look at this. Um, the health impacts of air pollution in children, according to this, also include mortality and, as I said before, neurodevelopmental problems. The Lancet Commission on Pollution and Health basically said air pollution is one of the great killers of our age and is a public health emergency. But, you know, most of the attention, you know, has been looking at adult deaths. But we also need to look at deaths of children. And children under five years old, this report, they reported 1.7 million deaths attributed to pollution and environmental risk. And air pollution was linked to 600,000 of these deaths each year of children, largely due to pneumonia. We need to look at this, and we need to deal with this. And that is not what's been happening at all. So we're looking at this, and then we look at prenatal or childhood exposure to air toxics. Okay, there can be long-term impacts, and that's at seeding. It seeds latent disease that be, may become evident in later life. And I'm sure that the, the fossil fuel industry knows this, has seen these studies, and this is one of the reasons why they want to make sure that if they're found liable about anything, it has, it has to be something that happened in that time period. Even though a lot of these issues, these health issues, is seeded maybe decades before it actually surfaces. And that's something that it affects all systems, neurodevelopmental, respiratory, um, other problems in infancy and childhood. Um, and, and once again, it is associated to early life exposure to air pollution. So once again, you have the legal profession, especially corporate attorneys, that make sure that their corporate clients aren't held liable for the effects of pollution that might manifest themselves a couple decades later. They'll only accept if it hap- if you can prove a direct line of liability maybe right there at the time within a year or so. And that's why, because they know they've seen these same studies. And if, you're, if this sounds a little confusing, believe me, these corporate attorneys have made sure that it is quite confusing. And that is not by accident. That is by design, in my opinion. So we're looking at this. And then we look at, here's another one. This is a cancer summary. And this is in Ecuador. Because once again, the fossil fuel industry has been dumping. It was one of the things that Stephen Donziger was fighting. And when they dump, 
especially what happened in Ecuador in the rainforest, yes, cancer rates did go up. So there was, um, this was a, a summary put together by the Lago Agrio legal team representing the indigenous peoples. Summary of independent health evaluations of the area of Ecuador's rainforest where Chevron operated from 1964 to 1990. Okay. Now, in all fairness, Chevron bought the pollution liability from 1964 to 1990. It was the original corporation was Texaco. And then when Chevron bought Texaco, they assumed the liability as well. So exposures and cancer incidents near oil fields in the Amazon basin of the Ecuador in 01, there was a study that was a study conducted. The study uh, focused on the high rates of cancer in the village of San Carlos. Um, the authors of the study noted that that area was surrounded by over 30 oil wells, and most of those oil wells were just a few meters from the houses where these people lived, and, quote, all of which, quote, dispose of waste without treatment in the small rivers across the village. So the company was just dumping the waste right by where people lived, and, the, and again, the, the river right by their houses. Quote, the study found an elevated rate of cancer among males in the village, while the authors noted that the small population size made it difficult to reject the possibility of chance, they ultimately concluded that their risk estimation was conservative because of the likelihood of cancer cases in San Carlos that were not diagnosed. They further noted that only one of the cancer sufferers had been a smoker, and the population otherwise maintained a healthy lifestyle with few other occupational hazards. Key findings for that study um, they found significantly elevated rates of the following cancers among males. Cancers of the stomach, liver, pancreas, throat, skin, and blood, especially among, and cancer deaths among males. Then there, were, there was a study of gynecologic and breast malignancies in the Amazon basin of Ecuador, A.K. Hertig and M. San Sebastian. And this was a brief study, and it looked at the frequency and incidence rates of gynecologic and breast malignancies, in other words, cancer, in the Amazon basin of Ecuador. And in the province of Sucumbios, Orellana, Napo, and Pistaza. And I know I'm mangling the Spanish. I apologize. And this, what you have to realize is when they look at incidence levels, think of the normal curve, all right? The highest part of the normal curve is what most people should fit into. It's the majority. That's what average means. But when you get a, a, an incidence rate that, that doesn't look like the normal curve, then you can't say that it was attributed directly to what would ordinarily happen in nature. Something else happened to affect it. And that's how they figure it out. Um, so the study compared, uh, there was a comparison between gynecologic and breast cancer rates. Uh, and they compared uh, with the rates recorded for that particular Amazon basin in Ecuador with standardized worldwide cancer rates. Now, there wasn't a cancer reg registry available in the Amazon, um, so they, the study had to rely on the National Cancer Registry in Quito, where suspected cancer victims um, from that part of the Amazon are usually sent. All the cancer cases diagnosed in Quito are registered in the cancer registry. The authors noted that the results, again, might be conservative, okay, because they, in other words, they think that the results may be far worse still. Um, and let's see, quote, it is likely that many cases of cancer never got referred to Quito from the study area and then weren't logged in the National Cancer Registry, which makes sense. That's why they think that the rate may be higher when they say it might be conservative. The key findings, that study measured annual incidence rate for nine types of gynecologic and breast cancer and, uh, and found it to be a significant problem in Ecuador's Amazon basin. So once again, why is this happening? Well, when they live right near oil wells and waste products are dumped in their water, doesn't look too good. I'm not saying that it was a direct thing, but it's not a hard, hard assumption anyway. They found ge there was another study, geographical dis differences in cancer incidents in the Amazon basin of Ecuador in, rela in relation to residents near oil fields in O2. Okay, so they wanted, this study wanted to find out if there was a difference in cancer rates between 
Amazonian peoples that lived near oil fields and populations that lived farther away from oil producing areas. And so they examined cancer cases in Sucumbios, Orellana, Napo, and Pastaza provinces from 85 to 98. And they classified anyone living nearby to oil field that was defined as those living in a county where oil production had been going on for 20 years. The study found, quote, statistically significant higher rates of cancer for populations living nearby to oil fields. Um, but once again, because this study really had to rely on the National Cancer Registry for data, the cancer rates in that area may still be underestimated because not everybody went to the doctor or got diagnosed even if they got sick. The key findings were significantly higher rates of cancer found in people living in oil producing areas compared to people living in similar regions of the Ecuador and Amazon that were not affected or touched by oil operations. So there was a, a causal link, in other words. People that lived closer to those oil operations had significantly higher rates of cancer than those that did not. And that included cancers of the stomach, the rectum, and that was over 10 times higher, melanoma over 10 times higher, soft tissue over 15 times higher, kidney cancer in men, and cancers of the cervix and lymph nodes in women, and higher rates of leukemia, get this, higher rates of leukemia for children, both male and female, under 10 years old. Okay? We're talking about babies now. And again, because some of these people didn't go to get treated, their names may not have gone on the cancer registry. So again, these figures may be an undercount still. Another study, incidents of childhood leukemia and oil exploitation in the Amazon basin of Ecuador in 04. This was her taking Sebastian again. This is an 04 study. It followed up on the findings in the 02 geographical differences studied. It also examined differences in cancer rates between Amazonians living, again, close proximity to oil fields and those living in areas where there had been no oil exploitation. Um, the study examined the same areas as the O2 study. They used the same methodology uh, in terms of how they classified whether members of that group lived in an area close to oil wells or in an area that was not affected by oil wells. Um, and, but this study focused specifically on childhood leukemia. And it was also, the study was conducted, they looked at years 85 through 2000. So it's a significant group. This is the damning part. Study found statistically significant elevated rates of leukemia in children under 14. Key findings were they found statistically significant elevated risk of leukemia for children under age 14, like 2.6 times, times higher and 3.5 times higher for children under age 5. Okay, and again, these could have been undercounts still. This goes on. There's, and these, this, this are the, the really dire effects, all right? The people of the Amazon have been made sick by this, and yet nothing has happened. And that's what a lot of people are complaining about. Amazon Watch. Um, you know, once again, they are talking about a community that has been made ill, and a lot of people that have died because of corporate greed. And this is something that we can no longer just ignore. And um, so we're, we're, we talked about some of these scientific studies. And then, you know, we have looked at so many other, other things here. Um, really, you know, hard to watch. Okay, it, it just is. It's hard to, to read off all of this. Um, so my computer's acting up again. All right, so we're going to go back here now. We've talked about a lot of health risk. And just from 
the pollution produced by the fossil fuel industry. Keep in mind, there were a lot of places where the waste product was into unlined pits. And a lot of Americans don't understand, which affects the water, a lot of Americans don't understand where the water comes from. You know, there there is underground water, so it can affect that. So we've got here now the Chevron tapes. And this is this was something from 2015, ironically, and there were some tapes and a video showed how these contractors working for Chevron were working very hard to try and cover up Amazon contamination. The footage was released. And the footage was shared with Vice News and some others. And because they knew that um, there was some ordered test samples, um, these, these contractors that worked for Chevron were looking for clean, uncontaminated soil. And instead they found samples with tainted with crude oil, okay? The fact is this, if the soil is tainted with crude oil, or if it is, it, if byproducts from the oil process has been dumped in the water, you can't use it. So um, apparently Amazon Watch, which is an activist group fighting to, you know, hold Chevron accountable, they were mailed some 47 DVDs of internal Chevron videos in 2011. It wasn't a return address. It was a leak. And uh, again, there was a note that read, quote, I hope this is useful for you in the trial against Texaco, Texaco Chevron, a friend from Chevron. And keep in mind, Chevron purchased Texaco in 01, and they assumed they're, they're not only their assets, but their legal liabilities. And this is when Donziger was still fighting it. And in 2011, you know, an Ecuadorian court found Chevron liable for $19 billion in environmental cleanup costs and punitive damages. And then Chevron appealed, and Ecuador's highest court upheld the win, you know, for the indigenous people, for Donziger, but they reduced the payout from $19 billion to $9.5 billion. Um, so... Amazon Watch is saying that Chevron sampling took place in 05, and that was before the Ecuadorian court's examination of evidence of water and soil quality. And, um, you know, according to the footage, Donziger and Amazon Watch said basically, and you could tell from the footage from looking at it, that these contractors were desperate to find clean areas that they could represent this is the sampling. See, we didn't do anything bad. And there's an exchange between two individuals in this one tape, uh, and they, uh, their names are apparently Dave and Renee. And uh, good news, Dave says with apparent sarcasm, petroleum. No, no, responds Renee. Check it again. Well, do you want to smell it? I think it is. Dave says to Renee as the two men examine a soil, a soil core sample. Renee sniffs the sample and demurs playfully for a moment before conceding. Okay, it is, it is, it is because they don't know what this fungus this is, said Dave. Well, you may, might as well try, well, you might as well stop them now, puts in Renee, stop them. Just, yeah, we're, we're done here. We're trying to find a clean core, and, we're obvi- and we obviously didn't go out far enough. Nice job, Dave, he continues. Give you one simple task. Don't find petroleum. Who picked the spot, Renee, Dave replies. I'm the customer, says Renee. I'm always right. Okay, so these two men, and I, I saw this clip, and they, you know, they thought it was funny. Okay. This, there was no sense of any any shame or remorse, nothing, okay? So there's another tape, and there's a segment. There's an unidentified man. He stays off camera, but he speaks with a woman named Merla who claimed that she'd lived in the area for over 30 years. And here's what Merla had to say. And, quote, we've had our cows die there, she said. Why did the cows die? because they drank the water where the oil had spilled. Back then, that whole area was full of crude, crude oil. The water there was filthy. They came and covered it up, and they just left all of the crude there, and it became a swamp. It's pure crude there. In the middle, it's a thick ooze, and you write down into it. End quote. When was this oil spilled, asked the interviewer. Quote, more than 20 years ago, but I still remember it, how there was oil over everything. The cows still die there. 
They came through some dirt on top of the crude oil, and there it stayed, end quote. So, and then again, that is, you know, basically a, a qualitative piece of evidence, but still, it gives some some local color to it. Um, Kevin Koenig was the Ecuador program director for Amazon Watch, and he told Vice News that the footage is, quote, the smoking gun evidence of Chevron's corruption caught on tape. So, of course, Chevron's attorney disagreed. Okay? They can disagree. But the evidence of what's been left back there speaks for itself. So, we're looking at this and we're just seeing so much injustice here. Um, You know, again, pardon me for rambling a bit tonight, but it's hard to look at this and not be so incredibly disgusted by the whole thing. Uh, I mean, there is no sense of remorse on corporate's part. And now we have Donzinger, who basically worked so hard to try and help these people. And now, you know, he's been treated, you know, basically he's looking at possibly some a little jail time. He lost his license to practice law. There, There is no justice in this case. There just isn't. Um, and so this is, this is something that, oh, one more thing from Amazon Watch, okay? Um, and this, in Amazon Watch, one of the things they put in one of their articles is, quote, Chevron's environmental racism has no place in America. Quote, it should no longer undermine and attack the black community, all those seeking systemic change and an end to its environmental destruction, end quote. And they, instead of calling it the human energy company, they call Chevron the inhuman energy company. And they call them out as Chevron is a champion of environmental racism. And this is a very interesting, this is what we started with, actually. And this, you know, it, it's amazing. Um, so looking at... Black Lives Matter and how a lot of whites have finally started to wake up a little bit. But then you'll see the overt racism that Chevron aims towards indigenous communities in Ecuador. And yet um, Chevron has been putting out these tweets. Chevron at Chevron, quote, Black Lives Matter, words from our leader, Chevron.co backslash BLMTW, and it says racism has no place in America. We stand in support of the black community and all those seeking systemic change. And it's at the bottom it says Chevron, the human energy company. And black, and then Amazon Watch had a response on Twitter. Quote, there, we fixed it for you. And they put black, hashtag Black Lives Matter, hashtag Indigenous Lives Matter, hashtag End Environmental Racism, Hashtag stop greenwashing and hashtag fossil free. And then Fox says Chevron's environmental racism has no place in America. And instead of, she- instead of Chevron, the human energy company, they say she- Chevron, the inhuman energy company. So they slapped them back. And so, you know, this is, you know, Greenpeace issued a statement, stop polluting Richmond communities and delete your account. All right. So basically you have Chevron trying to greenwash trying to make it look like they are, you know, the politically correct business model. And we just can't have that anymore. Um, So, again, Amazon Watch, um, another response from them to Chevron's tweet was, you don't care about the black lives in Richmond, California, in Nigeria, where your operations and flaring kill people. And when they fight back, you sue them. Oh, and hashtag indigenous lives in Ecuador, where you poison and refuse to clean up, hashtag Chevron menace, hashtag climate justice. Okay. So this is something, uh, there was another response to, again, Chevron's really ludicrous tweet. Uh, The hypocrisy of their tweet is just beyond belief. Um, And this is from Antonio Yuhaz. And she said on January 4th, 1999, plaintiffs claimed that Chevron leased helicopters carrying Chevron representatives 
flew over the Nigerian villages of Opia and Akenyan and opened fire. Nigerian soldiers in Chevron leased boats following the helicopters attacking the villages. Okay. So once again, um, you have Chevron using the ultimate in hypocrisy and they're being called out on Twitter and, you know, it's long overdue. It just is. So, you know, we're looking at this, and like I said, the first, the first half of this report, we talked about the legal case and how Stephen Donzinger, who represented the indigenous peoples to get some sort of reparations for the crimes of Texaco Chevron, um, punished, all right? And just to recap what happened just in the last few months, Keep in mind, Stephen Donziger led this charge. He he won against all odds, okay? And he was punished for representing his client, which is what a lawyer is supposed to do. So just within the last few months, you've got basically um, Chevron basically has, well, Let me start over here, okay? Um, Chevron won their lawsuit against Donzinger, at least for the time being, okay? But that wasn't enough. They wanted also to make sure that Donzinger couldn't work at all. In my opinion, they're using Stephen Donzinger as an attorney. They saw him get disbarred, even though he had done nothing wrong, and the intent was basically a warning, just like gangsters, all right? They pick one person, they punish them, and it's a warning to anyone else that dare offer representation to anyone who gets in the way of Chevron Corporation. And this is something that is out of line. Um, Donzinger has been in basically almost a year of house arrest, and that was because he refused to surrender his computer, his cell phone, and email passwords to Judge Kaplan, okay, because that was under he cited client, uh, attorney-client confidentiality. And the Judge Kaplan wanted him to give that information over to Chevron's lawyers. Uh, Judge Kaplan allowed Chevron's uh, witness that admitted to basically perjuring himself and accepting bribes, Judge Kaplan not only allowed that witness to testify, but he accepted the testimony even after that same man admitted to multiple courts that he had perjured himself. Okay. Then Judge Kaplan hired a private corporate law firm to file criminal contempt charges against Donzinger in a civil case. So that's what he's facing some possible jail time for. Then Kaplan picked his friend, Judge Prescott, to look over, to deal with the contempt case. Um, They took Donziger's passport. Uh, Then, this is a massive ethics breach. Uh, Kaplan hired the the law firm of Seward and Kissel to act as the prosecutor in that case after the federal prosecutor refused to take the case. Twice. And that Law firm Seward and Kissel, as I said last time around, failed to let, failed to basically report that they had had Chevron as a client, and Judge Preska, overseeing it, refused to disqualify them. Stephen Donzinger is possibly the only U.S. lawyer that has been held on pre-trial detention for a contempt charge, and he's already served twice the maximum sentence for the charges brought against him. He's lost his law license, though the New York Bar recently recommended that Donziger's law license be immediately reinstated, all right? This is about silencing all attorneys that dare to fight corporate, and they're using Stephen Donziger as the example, and this is about big money, nothing else. It's about big money. It's about colonialism, and... It's beyond criminal. So, you know, I I rambled a bit tonight. Um, I think sometimes the facts get to me. But 
this is something that is totally out of line. This is environmental injustice, environmental racism, and they're punishing the one lawyer that had the guts and the, the and, and the perseverance to fight this for 27 years for indigenous peoples. Keep in mind, it was Dr. King that said an injustice against one is an injustice against all. And right now, right now, we're dealing with how they're hurting people in the Amazon. But next time it'll be some of us, if it hasn't already. We have a right to demand justice from our system. And we have a right to demand accountability and transparency from our justice system. We don't have that. And we better make sure that we achieve justice. We cannot allow this to stand. This is the Environmental Justice Report with Janine Moloff, and I will see you next week.